Well, good morning. Thanks, Clark. Good to see you guys here at the 10 o'clock service at Grace Church. And uh, like Clark said, if you're a guest with us this morning, it's your first time here, thanks for being here. And we hope you get a chance to grab the gift that Clark mentioned for you at the Welcome Center. Now, that's just our way of saying thanks for being here and, uh, and thankful that you're able to kind of join us today as we continue in a series uh, that we started a few weeks ago that we've been calling You Plus Hope. And so if you're just jumping in in this series, this is your, your first time, or if you just missed any or all of this, basically what this series is about, it's kind of our Christmas series, right? And so we've been talking about Christmas, and, and really what we've been saying is, we've been saying that Christmas is really much more than just a celebration of an event that happened in the past. But we've been saying much more than that. Uh, Christmas is also a profound declaration about the character and about the conduct of God. Uh, that Christmas is not just something that God did, but it's actually something that God does. And so we've been talking about how Christmas, how that event, um, really brings hope to us today. In fact, if you were with us a couple weeks ago when we kind of initiated this series, we introduced you to the big idea of this whole series. And here's the big idea. We've been saying that God's past faithfulness uh, secures our future confidence, right? That what God did in the past at Christmas secures for us a hope that we can have today. God's past faithfulness secures our future confidence, that what God did is an explanation about his character and conduct and what God does. And so we've been talking about that, how Christmas brings us hope, and not just like some kind of synthetic Hallmark card kind of hope, but like real deal, um, legit anchor hope that we can put our trust and confidence in, um, in Jesus Christ because of that. And so we've been talking about that. And so each week what we've been doing then as we've been looking at a different aspect of the Christmas story and about how that aspect informs us of the hope that we can have today. So if you're with us last week, for example, we looked at the Christmas story and we talked about how Christmas informs us that uh, the silence of God does not mean the absence of God. And so if you're with us, we talked about that. We looked all at the Christmas story and talked about how though at times God may seem silent in our lives, that does not mean he is absent. And Christmas is really an explanation of that. It shows us that. We looked at that um, last week. And so this week what we want to do, we want to investigate another aspect, kind of another dimension of hope that Christmas brings to us. And, uh, and if you're taking notes, you can jot this down, but this is where we're going with it today, the type of hope that Christmas brings. And this is what we want to talk about. The humility of Christmas demonstrates the accessibility of grace. Yeah, that's where we're going today. That's what I want us to kind of talk about. The humility of Christmas demonstrates the accessibility of grace. And now, I know when I say that, some of you are like, okay, what do you mean by that exactly? The humility of Christmas demonstrates the accessibility of grace. What does that mean? Well, that's good because that's what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about today, unpacking this idea that the humility of Christmas demonstrates the accessibility of grace. And my hope is to kind of process through that for the rest of our time together today and talk about how Christmas really gives us hope, how the humility of Christmas gives us hope of the accessibility of the grace of God. And to do that, I want to invite you to grab your Bibles with me and, uh, and let's take a look once again at the Christmas story. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 2 this morning. Luke chapter 2. And, uh, and let me just say that if you didn't bring a Bible with you, we actually have some available for you. You can just grab those Bibles that are in the seats, hopefully in front of you there. Turn to page 716 in those Bibles. That's where you're going to find Luke chapter 2. All right, so go ahead and flip there. Uh, Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be going. Or you can also just follow in the PowerPoint. We're going to have it up on the screen as well. But let me just, as you're kind of flipping there and getting ready to get to Luke chapter 2, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but one of the things that's going to be blatantly obvious to us when we read this passage today is, is that the entire Christmas story, like the whole account of Christmas, is really encased 
and an amazing amount of humility. I don't know if you ever noticed that. My guess is, if you're familiar with the Christmas story, you've probably recognized this before. But did you ever notice that, that how much the Christmas story is sort of wrapped in ordinariness? Right? It's kind of clothed in humility. The whole story is encased in humility. And, uh, and of course, you know, there, there's angels and there's miracles and there's some pretty spectacular things that are happening in the Christmas story. But the details, right, the circumstances, um, the, the form, all, all of those things, it, it, it's shocking the humility of Christmas. And, uh, and I think sometimes what happens is we become so familiar with Christmas that the shock value kind of goes away. We don't realize just the, the extravagance of the humility that is kind of put before us here. And so uh, what I want to talk about today is I think that humility is for a reason, that the, the Christmas story is wrapped in humility because it tells us something about God. And namely, what I'm hoping we'll find is that the humility of Christmas demonstrates the accessibility of the grace of God. All right? And I want to look at a few different dimensions about the humility of Christmas. There's a ton of examples of the humbleness, the humility, the ordinariness of Christmas. But I just want to look at a few of them in this passage. Um, the first thing we're going to notice when we look in this passage, we're actually going to start in verse 8. But the first thing we're going to notice is that the birth announcement of Jesus was announced to the humble. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but the birth announcement, right, that Jesus Christ had come was an announcement that was given to a very humble audience. So let's just take a look. We're starting in verse 8 here. Let's look at this. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. That's what the Bible says, right? So let's just hit pause there. So once again, pretty familiar little passage here. But basically, if you're familiar with the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 2, it tells us that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, kind of explains the circumstances. And then immediately, the camera pans from the manger scene over to these fields where these shepherds are. And the Bible tells us that there was a group of shepherds that were watching their flocks at night. Now, of course, back in this culture, that would have been pretty normal. Uh, shepherds were guys who uh, they would have been with their sheep day and night. Kind of, They would have never left their flocks. And so it was very common for shepherds back in this time to sleep outdoors um, with and among their sheep. And uh, kind of a, just, a, just kind of was the way the occupation was. So here's some shepherds out in the fields with their flocks. And the Bible says in verse 9, something crazy happens. Look at verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, is what the Bible says. Now, I just want to highlight something here. Uh, the passage that we're studying right now on the PowerPoint, and if you have our Bibles, um, the passage that we're studying is in the NIV. It's the New International Version of the Bible, which is a great translation of the Bible. However, I think that as it relates to verse 9, it misses a very important little word that's mentioned in the Greek, um, and it kind of skips over in the NIV. If you have different translations, it includes it. So if you have the NLT or if you have the ESV, I think those translations say, and suddenly, suddenly an angel appeared before them. That word suddenly. Uh, if you have a New American Standard Bible, it says, behold, behold, an angel showed up among them. Or if you have the Old King James, I like the way the Old King James puts it. It says, and lo, lo. I just like that because I don't know anyone who says that word anymore. Lo. So that's a little bit of a Christmas homework assignment for you, okay? I want you somehow this Christmas season to just weave the word low casually into your conversation and see if anyone notices what they say, right? So I was driving down the road the other day, and low, a deer ran out in front of me. And just <laughs> yeah, see what they say, but try to weave in there. So, but, but low, suddenly, behold, what do all those words communicate? Well, what they communicate is unexpectedness, right? It's like, the modern-day translation would be the shepherds are out in their field and like, bam, you know, <laughs> angel 
That, that would be the modern translation of it all. And I, I think it's important because it tells us, look, these shepherds weren't looking for it. Right? They weren't like the Magi. The Magi were looking for it. Right? They were doing some calculations and looking up at this. That's not the shepherds. They were sitting in the fields doing their job like they always had done. And bam, there it was. Right? So we're told that the angels just kind of showed up. And what did they have to say to these guys? Well, they were terrified. So in verse 10, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Don't be scared. I got good news for you. What's the good news? Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You're going to find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So, so get this. The angel shows up, right? Bam, angel. And he's like, I got good news for you. Don't be scared. I come to be a bearer of good news for you. And they're like, what is it? And he's like, today in Bethlehem, in, this, in the, the city of David, a Savior is born. A Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, right? This is the long-expected Messiah. This is Jesus Christ, the Lord. He's here. What is this? Well, you guys know what this is, right? This is a birth announcement. That's what this is. This is an announcement that the God of the universe has sent his son into the world. And this is the birth announcement of the arrival of the king of the universe entering into the human equation. This is huge. I want you to notice, though, this is what's so fascinating, that when God decided to announce the arrival of the Messiah, of his son Jesus Christ, into human history, when he decided to announce that to the world, for the whole world to see, because you and I are reading it today, the, the, the group, the audience that he chose to reveal that to was the shepherds. Now, that is strange for a couple reasons. I'll tell you why. So some of you know, in the Bible... Shepherd, the word shepherd is used pretty often. In fact, in the Old Testament, most of the time in the Old Testament, when you talk about a shepherd, the role of shepherd or the occupation of shepherd is one that's looked upon pretty positively, right? So, for example, King David, right? King David, who was like awesome, uh, was a shepherd. Uh, Moses, you know, the deliverer of the Israelites, kind of a big deal. Uh, he was a shepherd. Uh, in the Psalms, for example, the Lord is depicted. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. And so in the Old Testament, whenever in the Bible you read about a shepherd, for the most part, it's in a positive light. It's kind of with this, you know, this, this kind of positive view on shepherding. Uh, however, what you need to understand is that by the time you get to Jesus' era, the occupation of shepherd in Jesus' time had lost all of its dignity. It was viewed in a very negative way in their culture. And there's a couple reasons for that. I'll just name a few. Mainly it was because of the religious leaders. So the Pharisees back in that time, they had written a lot of rules and regulations about social structure and those type of things. And a lot of the rules and regulations included very negative things about shepherds. So for example, the Pharisees declared that the shepherds would be ceremonially unclean. And some of you know that, that back then with Judaism, there was a whole laundry list of items you had to do to cleanse yourself so that you could be acceptable before God and you could enter into the temple and worship God and those type of things. And they called that ceremonially clean. Well, because the shepherds lived in fields with animals who did things that animals do, they're like, you can't, you can't come near the temple because you're unclean. So because of that, many of the Jewish people wouldn't even approach a shepherd. They were afraid of interacting with the shepherd at the expense of becoming ceremonially unclean themselves. So they wouldn't do it. So they were considered unclean. In addition to that, the Mishnah, which is basically a grouping of writings of, uh, of Jewish laws and traditions, it's kind of rabbinic teachings and those type of things. The Mishnah in Jesus' time taught that shepherds, the occupation of shepherding, was a class of people that was called sinners. 
So if you were a shepherd just by trade, you were considered a sinner. So let me explain that a little bit. You guys might remember when Jesus was going around doing his teaching and his healing and stuff like that. The Pharisees called Jesus a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And why did they say that? Well, because in that time, the Pharisees had a whole category of people that they called sinners. And some people just by, by occupation were considered sinners. So for example, if you were a tax collector, you are in the prescribed occupation that you are considered a sinner. If you are a prostitute, you are in a prescribed occupation where you'd be considered a sinner by the religious leaders. If you were a shepherd, you are in the prescribed association of people where you would be considered a sinner. So I want you to understand that in this time, shepherds were the lowest class, right? the lowest of the low. They were considered sinners by the religious people. They were considered unclean. People would not associate with them. They would keep, it'd be the kind of thing where if you saw a shepherd walking down the road and you had your kids, you would hide your kids from the shepherd. It'd be that kind of situation, right? And then on top of that, and this is just mere speculation on my part, but I'm just guessing that the shepherds probably had to be pretty socially off, right? If you do the math, the equation, right? Here's guys that don't get a lot of human interaction that are kind of outcasts, and they live outside with animals. I'm like, boy, that's a formula for social awkwardness if there ever was one. Right? Anytime you get someone alone with animals for a long period of time, living outside, it, the result's strange. Right? And we see this. So just imagine the shepherds are out there, right? They don't see anyone. They don't have any human relations for a long time. They got all the sheep. So naturally, what do they do? They start naming the sheep. Right? That one's going to be called snow pants. You know, this <laughs> one's going to be called... They just start naming the sheep. Then what do they do? They start talking to the sheep, right? You know, having little conversations. And then they do the really weird thing they start making the sheep talk back in their own voice. Look, we, we see this on a mild scale with a lot of you guys who have pets, you see this. Right? How, many of you guys, how many of you guys are dog people? Show of hands. Okay, how many of you guys are cat people? Show of hands. All right, Jesus still loves you, and that's good. But um, if you're a dog or cat person, isn't it true? And let's just be honest. Let's just be, admit it for a minute. Isn't it true you get your pet and you name it? Right? You name your pet, and it's cute, and it's fun. And then you get to know the personality of your pet, and then you start talking to it right? And then the weirdest thing happens. You start to give it a voice and it begins talking. Some of you guys have a pet voice for your dog or your cat and only your family is in on it, right? So you're like, hey, Snow Pants, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? And, and like you would never do it in front of anyone else because it's so weird, right? But you do it uh, behind closed doors. And I know that because I've done that in the past with my pet. Now imagine that times 50, all right? And now you got the shepherds. So they're unclean, they're considered sinners, they're a little off socially, right? And yet, when God decides that he's going to announce the arrival of his son, the Messiah, into the human experience, who does he announce it to? He announces it to the shepherds, to these humble men. Now the question has got to be this, why? Why? Because God could have done this any way he wanted to, right? He's God, and I don't think that he does anything without intention. So he intentionally announces this to the, to, the, to the lowest class of person imaginable. Why? Well, I think it's because the humility of Christmas demonstrates to us the accessibility of grace. You guys, what does this tell us about God? Here's what it tells us. It tells us that this gift, that this Jesus, is for everybody. Everybody. That there is, there is nothing that you can do to, to clean yourself up, to make yourself right, to, to somehow 
manage and sanitize yourself well enough to earn the favor of God. It is unmerited favor. And you guys, this, this, is, this is the definition of grace. If you don't know what grace is, grace by definition simply means unmerited favor. It means you did nothing to deserve it. You've done nothing on your part to earn it. It has just been given to you. God just favors you, right? Now think about these shepherds. There is nothing you can point to that would make them eligible for this unbelievable privilege of being the recipients of this announcement. There was nothing they could have done. They had, they had no influence. They had no nobility, no royalty, no pedigree, no moral you know, astuteness. There was nothing that put them aside from everyone else that said, these guys are worth it. But it was the exact opposite. Everything about them pointed to the fact that they weren't worth it. And yet, when God decided to announce the birth of his son, he didn't go to the kings, he didn't go to the royalty, to the nobility, he didn't go to the religious leaders and the morally astute. He went to the shepherds. And he's like, I got good news for you, for you and for everybody. And you guys, this is so characteristic of grace. If, if, if you're a person that's been investigating Jesus, I want you to understand something about the grace of God that's so important. The grace of God is given, it's free, it's not earned. It's something God gives without merit. It's just, it's just his favor to you. And like these shepherds, man, they were surprised by grace. They did nothing to earn. They weren't looking for it. Some of you, maybe today you came in today, and this is the first time you've been in church in a long time, right? And, uh, and maybe there's this thing in your mind, and maybe this is, you're like me, because I remember when I first started coming to church, there was this thing in the back of my mind, and, and, and I just kept thinking to myself, I don't belong here. That was the thing in my mind. I kept thinking, I don't, I don't belong here. If, if people knew what I have done, if they know where I've been, if they know the places that I've been or the things, you know, if they would have known that, they know that I don't belong here. My life isn't clean enough. I don't have my act together well enough. I don't belong here. But listen, if that's the way you're thinking, by the way, you need to know that you don't understand grace. You understand religion, but you don't understand grace. Because the humility of Christmas demonstrates to us the accessibility of God's grace. It's for you. It's for you. It's for everybody. It's for, it's for the shepherds. It's for the unclean. It's for the sinners. It's for the socially awkward. It's for all of us. It's accessible for everybody. It's amazing. The humility of Christmas. You see it. The whole story is encased in humility. And the first place we see it is with the announcement to the humble. Here's the second way we see it. We see it in the humble circumstances or the humble setting of Christmas, the humble circumstances. I want you to just look at verse 11 and 12 with me again. Verse 11 and 12, the angel said, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This is going to be a sign to you. You're going to find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Now, once again, this is just kind of review. My guess is you guys have a nativity set at home, and you probably look at it. You're probably so familiar with it that it doesn't strike you anymore. That, that the God of the universe decided to enter into human history and the means he did it was through, that, through a very humble circumstance. Right? Notice what the Bible says. It says, in the town of David, a Savior has been born. What's the town of David, by the way? That's Bethlehem. You guys know anything about Bethlehem? Bethlehem is the smallest little town. It's like a blip on the radar. It had a population of just a couple hundred people. So, so when God sends his Messiah to the world, he doesn't send Jesus into this big city, into this kingdom, into this you know, incredible, he, he sends him into backwoods Bethlehem, just little old town. 
of Bethlehem. And then on top of that, notice also it tells us that his birthplace was in a manger. And I know some of you guys maybe have heard there's a lot of debate on exactly what the manger scene would have looked like. And there's documentaries that are out there about what mangers would have looked like in the first century. And there's a whole lot of thought about that. But here's what we know. We know that Jesus was born in a borrowed manger among animals. Most commentators agree that his crib would have been a feeding trough, the place that he was born. And once again, why? I mean, he could have been born, God had control over all that. He could have been born in a kingdom. He could have been, he could have been born in a palace, in a castle. Instead, he's born in a borrowed manger in some little offbeat town, Bethlehem. And then on top of that, you think about his family, right? Joseph was a carpenter, blue-collar blue trade, low income. His mom, Mary, uh, just a teenage mom, 13 or 14 at this time. Very humble circumstance. Listen, the, the Jewish leaders, when they were looking for the Messiah in this time, they were expecting the Messiah to come in cataclysmic glory. They were expecting him to come onto the main stage of human history with lights and with, and with attention and with glamour and just cataclysmic glory. But when Jesus came into the human scene, he entered in through the back door. I mean, Bethlehem, small town, manger, humble circumstances, family, all of it's humble, announced to the humble. Why all of this humility? Once again, I believe it's because, because the humility of Christmas demonstrates the accessibility of grace. If you're, if you're a person that's investigating Jesus, let me just tell you, one of the things that I found the most compelling about Christianity, about, about the story of Jesus as compared to other religions, is that most other religions talk about a deity that lives off in some distant, um, inapproachable place. And their interactions with human beings are minimal. And the human has to work themselves up in some way to achieve the favor of that God. Christianity is the only religion that teaches that God is the one who bent down and stooped down and came to us. That's grace. Grace works itself to us. We don't work ourselves to it. So much so that the maker of the universe was born in the most humble way to, 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 to explain to us the accessibility of grace. It's for you. It's for you. That's what all of it's saying. So there's a humble announcement. You have this humble circumstance. And then I think the most magnificent of them all, you notice in this, is that Jesus comes in a humble form. He comes in a humble form. I want you just to notice real quick here in verses 11 and 12. He comes in a humble form. Check this out. He says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. And I just want you to hit pause there for a minute. I know you know what comes next, but I just want you to think about this with me for a moment, all right? So this angel shows up to these shepherds, which is just wild. And then he says, I got good news for you. He says, what's the good news? He says, today, today in the town of David, in Bethlehem, like the city just right over there, he's like, there's going to be a Savior born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. All right, so I just want you to pay attention for a moment because this was mind-blowing to me this week. I want you to pay attention to the titles that the angel uses for Jesus, right? He's like, today, over in Bethlehem, just like right over there in that little old town, okay, there is a Savior, capital S, Savior. That is the long-expected one. The Old Testament has prophesied about all the way back from the beginning in the book of Genesis, that guy, capital S, Savior, the Savior, the Messiah, that is, the one who's going to take away the sins of the world. Then look at this, capital L, the Lord, God himself, is over there in Bethlehem. 
in this little town. So the angel comes up, he says, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, God himself is over in that little town. And then he says to these shepherds, which has got to be crazy, he says to these shepherds, so you're going to go over there, and then how are you going to know you found him? How are you going to know you found God in Bethlehem? He's like, Here, here's how you're going to know. There's going to be a sign. Now, before we look at the sign, let me just tell you what I'm thinking it would be. All right? Because if you're talking about capital S Savior, capital M Messiah, capital L Lord, God, creator of the universe, I would imagine that when God decided to come into the human story, that the sign, that, that the means, that the way you would know that he would come would be something like this. I imagine the angels would say, got good news for you. In Bethlehem, God is here, the Messiah, the Savior. And here's your sign. He's going to come in the form of a gigantic pillar of fire, right? It's going to go from the ground to the heavens, and you're going to know you saw him because it's going to be terrifying, and it's going to be unapproachable, and it's going to be all of those things, right? And I would expect that, and here's why. Because you guys know in the Old Testament, whenever God dwelt with his people, it was always in inapproachable, frightening ways. So when God led his people out of Egypt, you know how he did it? With a pillar of fire at day and a cloud, or at night and a cloud of smoke at day. That makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. A holy, inapproachable God. When God comes to his people, he comes in the form of a burning bush with Moses. He comes in the form of a smoking mountain with Moses. These are all terrifying, inapproachable things that are representations of the holiness of God. And so the angels are like, go over to Bethlehem. God's over there. And I would imagine they'd be like, and here's how you're going to know he's there. You're going to see a mountain on fire with angelic guitar solos swirling around it. That's how you're going to know you found it. That's what I would expect, right? But look what they say. They say, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah of the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws lying in a manger. A baby? Yeah, yeah, a baby. And there is nothing terrifying. There is nothing inapproachable about a baby. Some of you are thinking, it's been a long time since you had a newborn. You know? <laughs> if you're a single guy, you're thinking, there's nothing more terrifying to me. <laughs> but think about it, man. Did you guys ever think about that? Did you ever compare a pillar of fire with a baby? If you have, you're weird. <laughs> Just think about it for a second. A pillar of fire, what does that tell you? Inapproachable terrifying, powerful, a baby, totally approachable, huggable, right? Uh, the, the very core of human existence is drawn to the intimacy of, of a baby. The, it, you think about a pillar of fire, it could destroy you, kill you. A baby is, is the weakest, meekest, most fragile form of human existence imaginable. And just get this, when God said, I'm going to send my son into this world, I'm going to do it by announcing his birth to shepherds, the nobodies. And then he's going to be born in a borrowed manger in some weird podunk town. And he's going to come as a little tiny baby. Why, why, why? Look, we are so familiar with this. Did you ever just stop and think about how crazy that is? Why did God choose that means to do that? I'm telling you, it's because the humility of Christmas demonstrates, it reveals to us the accessibility of grace. And the fact that Jesus Christ left the luxuries of heaven, the right hand of God, and came down and dwelt among us in the most humble form imaginable, 
explains to us the distance and the extent of his love. One of the things I wrote in my notes, if it's helpful, you can write it in your notes too. I'll just say it for you, but it was helpful for me. I said that Christmas reveals the measurement of God's grace. Christmas reveals the measurement of God's grace. Christmas reveals the measurement of God's grace. Now, what do I mean when I say that? Here's what I mean. I was reading the book of Revelation not too long ago. I don't know if you guys have ever ever read the book of Revelation. I wouldn't recommend it before you go to bed. You'll have terrible dreams. But uh, in the book of Revelation, John, the writer of Revelation, who also was a disciple of Jesus, he sees a vision of Jesus. And the Bible explains this vision. It's of Jesus sitting on a throne in heaven. And he explains this setting. It's really weird. And he says that Jesus is sitting on the throne. He says his eyes are like fire. And out of his mouth is coming a sword. Now, I think he's speaking metaphorically there. It's sort of a strange thing. But here's the result, okay? John sees Jesus sitting on the throne, and he is so overcome by the holiness of Jesus. He is so overcome by his own depravity in the midst of being with this God. He is so overcome with the power and the majesty of Jesus. The Bible says that, his, that the result is he falls face down on the ground and says this in Revelation, you should read it. He says, like a dead man. So he sees Jesus and his response is just boom, on the ground, overwhelmed with the holiness of God. Anytime anyone has an experience like this, and Isaiah, the Bible says Isaiah cries, falls to his face and cries, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. He's like, I do not deserve to be in the presence of my maker. Now here's a crazy thought. The same Jesus who's sitting on the throne at the right hand of God, that same guy who if you and I stood in his presence, we would fall flat on our faces is the same Jesus that we see in this passage as a little baby, humble baby. And I believe it explains to us the great distance that God went. The distance from the throne of God to, to, to a feeding trough in a little manger in an obscure town as a baby is the schematic of the grace of God. It, it reveals to us the great distance that God would go to display his love to us. Think about it this way. So I remember when my wife and I started dating a long time ago. It's a long time ago now. When we first started dating, I remember when I first met her. Uh, she, we actually met at church. So she walked in and I saw, I, the moment I saw her, I was like, Lo! <laughs> Behold! Flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. And uh, so I went up to her and we talked and we pretty, I'm, I'm not joking, it was like no time. We were dating pretty quick. So when we started dating, of course, I'm like head over heels for this girl and she's, she's smitten with me, which I can't blame her. And, uh, and so, it, but, but things, you know, we started getting pretty serious and I remember one, on one occasion, she and her friend uh, went up to, um, to, to Sandusky. Her friend's family had like a cabin or something. And they went up there for a weekend, which meant three days away from her, which was like an eternity. And, uh, and so we, when we started dating, I found myself doing things I didn't normally do, saying things I didn't normally say. I talked on the phone, which I hate doing. I would just do it all. We would talk on the phone all night sometimes, you know, till three in the morning. And so uh, she went up to Sandusky, and I was back in Akron, and... Um, and I remember I had to get up the next day to go to work. And, and so we're on the phone. And the phone call pretty much looked like this. I miss you. I miss you. I miss you more. And it was that kind of thing. And I, I just tell you, I couldn't take it anymore. I could not take it. I was like, I have to see her. And so I got, it was late at night. I got in the car. I drove all the way up to Toledo. 
and then just to be with her for like an hour, two hours. It's like, I just, I have to see you. And of course, she was like, you would go to that length to be with me? And I'd do anything. You know, ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low, you know. I was just like, I have to be with you. And, and, and what is that saying? Here's what, listen, the distance in which a person is willing to go, it demonstrates the love that they must have. The fact that Jesus, like I'm talking about the maker of the universe, the one who sits at the right hand of God, the fact that he would descend all the way down, not to a king, not to like a, a religious leader, but to a baby in a manger, in a blue-collar family, in a podunk town, and announce himself to shepherds, man, that tells you the love that he has for you. The humility of Christmas demonstrates the accessibility of grace. Everything about Christmas screams to us, God loves you, God loves you, and he's given his son for you. It's for you. Everything he's done to push it right at your fingertips and make it available to you. So here's a question then. What do you do with it then? What do you do with Christmas? What do you do with this grace that has been given to you so freely accessible? What do you do with it? I think, honestly, there's really two things you should do. And I just want to show them to you because I think the shepherds do them. So let's just take a look at these last couple of verses. Here we go, verse 15. When the angels had left them and they had gone to the heavens, the shepherds said to each other, man, let's go to Bethlehem. Like, let's go see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, hurried. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Because there's two things the shepherds did that I think that we should do as well. And I'll mention these two and then we'll be finished. Here's the first thing. What do you do with Christmas? First and foremost, you have to embrace it. You have to embrace this gift of grace that God has freely provided for all of us. God has done everything to work his way to you and I to offer to us the free gift of grace and forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can do to earn it. It's not because your life is cleaned up and your family's all put together and, and you, just, you just, you know, got all your, that's not how it works. It's unmerited and it's given to you freely and it's offered to you today. It's at your fingertips. For some of you, you have never embraced the grace of God in your life. You never have. Maybe for you, you even grew up in church. You grew up in the religious thing, but you never understood grace. Listen, to, to, to embrace Jesus is to embrace hope and it's to embrace the grace that God is offering to you. If you've never done that today, I would encourage you, you can do that today. Jesus has worked out everything to make that available to you. And it's not like you have to do anything special. It's not like there's some seance or any magic routine you have to do to embrace this grace. It literally is a conversation in your heart to God to just say, God, I accept this. I believe it and I accept it. I see what you've done for me. I realize that there's nothing I could have done to earn it and I take it. And if you want to make that decision, you can do that today. And I'd encourage you to pray to God between our services when the music is playing. Just your heart to God's heart. Make that declaration. For some of you, put a stake in the ground for the first time. Some of you have been investigating Jesus and you've been on the fence about Christ. You're not sure what you believe. But as we talk today and you hear about the grace of God, something makes sense for the first time. If that's the case, I'd encourage you. 
Don't let this moment pass. Cling on to it and embrace it. For those of us who already know Christ and have embraced this hope and this grace, here's the second thing I think we have to do. We have to share it. We have to share hope. These shepherds, the Bible says, that after they saw this, they couldn't keep their mouth shut, man. They ran out. They were telling everybody about it. You got to know about this Jesus. Incredible. Listen, for you and I, listen, we, maybe you and I, we know people in our lives right now who during this holiday season desperately need hope. Desperately need hope. We have hope that we found in Jesus Christ. And I'm not, like, we're not talking about some synthetic hope. We're talking about real hope that Christ has given. And we know people who need that hope. I said, how, how terrible would it be if we hoarded that and didn't share the most precious gift that God shared with us? And one of the things I want to encourage you, if you're a person that calls Medina East Campus home, I want to encourage you this way. In your programs, one of the things that you guys probably saw was an invitation card to our Christmas Eve services. Looks like this. All right, here's my encouragement to you. I want you to think of someone, prayerfully think of someone or a couple people that you can think of that need hope this season. Going through a rocky time in their marriage, facing a difficult health circumstance in their family, just experiencing existential hopelessness in some level. Someone you know who needs hope and then prayerfully consider them and then share hope, invite them out. During our Christmas Eve services, we're gonna try our very, very, very best been working on it, and I'm really excited about it. To, we're going to do our very best to try to share the hope of Jesus Christ in a clear way that makes sense to even those who maybe don't even know Christ. And our hope is to be able to do that and partner with you as we do that. If you go to our Facebook page, you can also find um, Instagram and Facebook invites that you can uh, share with people on their pages if you want to. And those are just quick and easy ways to maybe share hope with people that you can think of in your lives. Right? Christmas is, is encased in humility. And the humility of Christmas demonstrates for us the accessibility of grace. Grace is for all. And Christmas tells us that. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to say thank you so much for, um, really for Christmas. I don't, I don't think sometimes we really are fully aware of, um, just because we're so familiar with it, God, it, it seems that we, sometimes it loses its shock value that the creator of the universe has come, has dwelt among us. And, and everything about Christmas, God, it is encased in humility. And to be honest with you, it just doesn't make sense to us sometimes. But you could have announced your son in any way you wanted to. You could have come and, um, and dwelt with the most highly influential people, with the royalty, with the nobility. You could have done that, but you chose instead to reveal yourself to shepherds, to make yourself accessible to the lowest class. Father, you when, you, when you entered into the human story, you could have easily done so on the main stage of human history in a profound and a, in a declarative way, but instead you, you came in a very meager and um, humble way. And God, why, 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 why would you do it this way? Lord, Christmas tells us something about you. It tells us that your humility reveals to us that, that the grace is accessible for us. So Father, I pray that maybe for a person today who's here who has never embraced it, that maybe for the first time they'd embrace the grace that is freely offered to them through your son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Lord, I pray that for those of us who have found this hope, that we wouldn't take advantage of it, 
Help us not to hoard it. Help us to want to eagerly share it. Because, Father, it's the greatest news in the world. It's good news. It's good news. You don't have to earn it. It's good news. You don't have to work yourself to it. It's good news. God has come to us, and it's a gift that's right at our fingertips. Father, help us to embrace it this season. Help us to share it this season. The great hope that you've shown us in Jesus Christ. I pray in Jesus' name.